0: So, here we are, the start of the holiday season. Now, depending on um, your perspective, we, we may already be into the holiday season. Some people include Halloween into the holiday season. So we have Halloween. This week we have Thanksgiving. Then a few weeks we have Christmas. And then we celebrate a brand new year. They kind of load it on the heavy side in the... The end of the year. So like all these holidays, they have their own festivities. They have their own foods. You know what I'm talking about? This is a really bad time of the year to be on a diet, isn't it? Yeah. um, You know, I can't wait for Thanksgiving because my favorite part of Thanksgiving is pumpkin pie. This is a little of how I do it. All right. So we have holiday festivities Holiday foods, we have holiday music. And so you've probably already started to hear Christmas carols being played in the grocery store or at retailers or on the radio if you listen. Um, Lots of great Christmas music. And, And you know what? I like Christmas songs. I like most all of them. There's this one Christmas carol I can't stand. It literally makes my teeth feel weird. It annoys me so much. And I'm not going to tell you what song that is because there's enough of you in the audience. You would send me every version of that song between now and Christmas. I, I hate that song. But most all of the Christmas carols I like. But my favorite part of the holiday season is not so much the music as it is the movies and the shows. Those classic Christmas shows that we've been watching. And literally, I've been watching them, some of them all of my life. Several of the popular ones like, uh, you know, Charlie Bound Christmas or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman. They were all created in the mid 60s, 64, 65 and 69. I was born in 62. So I, w- I have been watching these shows every year of my life that I've been alive. And this is a tradition in a lot of families is sort of passing from one generation to the next. These, these you know, loved Christmas shows that we all enjoy. And so um, I'm really excited about the start of watching all these Christmas shows. And, and here's some of them that um, you'll recognize that I think, uh, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas, everyone's favorite. How about this one? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which is fascinating. They had to take those picture by picture by picture just to make every little movement. Fascinating kind of stuff. Frosty the Snowman. How about this one? It's a Wonderful Life. Miracle on 34th Street, not my all-time favorite, but I, I enjoy this one, all right? Um, remember this one, A Christmas Story, Charles Dickens? I all mean, right, Christmas Carol, excuse me, which brings me to the next one, A Christmas Story, which is so quotable, right? And then here's one, this is a newer version of a Christmas movie, but it's kind of become iconic, um, Elf, all right? Lots of great lines in Elf. Every time I'm in a downtown anywhere and there's taxis, Charlotte and I, we always say, watch out for the yellow ones, they don't stop. Might recall that one? Here's a Christmas classic, uh, The Polar Express. And then this one, Home Alone. And probably the all-time greatest Christmas movie ever, Die Hard. (laughs) big debate of whether in fact that's that's a christmas movie but there's one christmas movie that has a really really important lesson to teach us and that's the christmas movie of how the grinch stole christmas and if you may recall at the beginning of the movie um the grinch is not a big fan of christmas he not only doesn't like the holiday he doesn't like people who like the holiday And so here's what we learn about the Grinch in the early part of the movie. Everyone, every who down in Whoville likes Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas. The whole Christmas season, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be that his head was not screwed on just right. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Very interesting observation. His heart was two sizes too small small. So here's the question I have for you today. You ready? What size is your heart? What size is your heart? Are you maybe like the Grinch, extra, extra small? You're like, well, I'm not quite Grinchy, but uh, extra small, small, medium, large, extra large, extra, extra large. Now, before you answer, make sure that you understand how a heart is measured. And that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to begin a new topic today. It's just going to be a short series of messages, two, two Sundays, today and next Sunday. And I want to talk about the topic of generosity. Now, I need to ask you to do me a favor. Will you do me a favor? Well, thank you, Jerry. Jerry says, sure. The rest of you are like, let's hear the favor first. <laughs> All right, here's what I need to ask you. Most people, when they hear the word generosity, they immediately assume that what you're talking about is money. What I want to make sure that we all understand is this is not a discussion about money. These next two Sundays are not about money. This is a discussion about generosity, which is very different than money. This is not a series about your wallet. This is a series about your heart, our heart. What size is our heart? You see, there are people who are financially generous and there are people who possess a generous spirit. It is a way that they go about living their life and that's what this series is about. It's about a generous spirit. This is about a discussion of generosity as it cuts across numerous arenas or expressions of our life. You see, the true nature of generosity is really about a general disposition of our heart more so than it is about our wealth. I mean, generosity takes on a variety of different expressions. Here's just some of them. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your talent or your skills. You can be generous with your possessions. You can also be very generous when it comes to encouragement. You are very lavish in the encouragement that you dole out to others. You can be, you can be generous with respect in how you treat other people. Even people that aren't necessarily acting in ways that are very respectful. You can be generous with help or giving people your undivided attention rather than just sort of walking by them and being hurried in your kind of interaction with them. You can be generous with affirmation or the support that you give people or causes. You can be generous with your kindness, generous with compassion, with the grace that you dole out to others. You can be generous with forgiveness. Even when someone isn't behaving in such a way that you want to forgive, you can be generous in doling out the grace and the forgiveness. You can be generous with your patience. When your kids or strangers or just people in your life kind of start pushing your buttons and you're losing your patience with them, you can be generous with giving out more patience than perhaps is deserved. Does that make sense? Okay, so listen. It's so a part of what I do for a living where it could be described as I work for God. Now, I don't want to make too much of that, but the Bible gives me and other pastors very specific instructions about how we are to do our job. And in fact, the Bible is very clear that I will answer to God uniquely for how I did the job that he gave me to do. And so there's a passage of scripture that's given to pastors about what we are to do and how we are to do our job. And guess what? It has to do with you. Look at this. The Apostle Paul, in the first century, wrote a letter to a pastor named Timothy. And he says, Timothy, instruct them. And in the context of the discussion, he's talking about the wealthy people in your church. And let me just clarify. We're all wealthy. By the standards of this world, by the standards of history, certainly by standards of the situation in the first century, we we are all incredibly wealthy, If you have a pantry, if you have a second refrigerator, if you have more than one car, we're wealthy. And the apostle Paul writes to Timothy says, instruct them to do good, to be rich, not in wealth, to be rich in good deeds. Then instruct them to be generous, and willing to share. So I have a responsibility that I am to instruct the church family that I shepherd to understand what it is to be generous. And boy, the topic of generosity is fascinating. Now, I'm a bit of a word nerd, okay? I love words, I have all my life. I love the meaning of words. I love the history or etymology of words. I love the idioms of how people use words. I, I, I think words are fascinating. And this word generosity is particularly fascinating. And if you're interested, I'll tell you some fascinating things about it. You guys game? All right, we'll have to go through this quickly so that I can make sure that we get done on time. All right. The Greek word that's used in the Bible for generosity it means to give from a liberal, and that's not political ideology, okay? to give from a generous or abundant attitude that's ready to share. In fact, the word has the idea of eager to share. It refers to spontaneous, willing giving and emphasizes being ready to share with others or for outreach. This word means it describes someone who's open-handedly shares who stands ready they're looking for opportunity to impart to others this word the prefix that begins the word emphasizes the nuance either of liberality or the ease and the joy with which one makes their resources useful to others in fact, if we study the Greek word that's used in the scriptures to, that's translated generosity, what we see is that there's two options biblically. You wanna know what they are? You're either tight-fisted or you're open-handed. You're either the kind of person who lives your life kind of like your fists are clenched and you're holding on to you and what you have, or, or you have very open hands. You have an open hand when it comes to encouragement. You have an open hand when it comes to affirmation. You have an open hand when it comes to being kind and considerate. You you hold the things of your life very loosely. Then it's interesting to see the word generosity take shape throughout history. It's interesting that in the 16th century is when we first are introduced to the word in kind of the English form. It begins with Latin. It finds its popularity in the French language. And a word means literally of noble birth. It really didn't even have to do with giving. It had to do with one's station in life. If you were a noble, if you were a king, a queen, a prince, or a princess, if you were a part of the nobility, you were said to be generous. And that, again, isn't about an act of giving. That is about a station in life. But then, as words always are, they have a literal sense, but they have a figurative sense. The figurative sense of the word was that it's noble in behavior or actions, Willing to give and to share unsparingly. Showing a readiness to give more than is expected or needed. It's invigorating in its nature. In other words, it's eager and it's excited to share. Most recorded English uses of the word generous up until during the 16th century reflect an aristocratic sense of Being of noble lineage or high birth, but it changes throughout history. To be generous was literally a way of saying, you belong to nobility. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But watch this. In the 17th century, the meaning and the use of the word began to change. Generosity came increasingly to identify not a literal family heritage, but a nobility of spirit Thought to be associated with people of high birth. Do you see the difference? Watch this. In this way, generosity increasingly came in the 17th century to signify a variety of traits of character and action historically associated with the ideas of actual nobility. I love this. This is what it meant in the early centuries to be generous. It had to do with gallantry. It had to do with courage and strength, richness, gentleness, and fairness. In the 18th century, The meaning of generosity continued to evolve in directions denoting the more specific contemporary meaning of open-handedness, liberality, and the giving to others. Over the last five centuries in the English-speaking world, generosity developed from being primarily the description of an ascribed status pertaining to elite nobility to being an archived mark of An achieved mark of admirable personal quality and action capable of being exercised in the theory by any person who had learned the virtue and the noble character. You see, not everybody is like that. That's what makes it uncommon. Generosity has not long been viewed as a normal trait of the ordinary. It's uncommon, or of all people, but rather one expected to be practiced by those of a higher quality or a greater goodness. That's what makes it uncommon. Generosity, unlike, say, truth-telling or not stealing, is more an ideal toward which the best may aspire and achieve than a moral obligation that it is a duty of all to practice. It's uncommon. And finally, generosity on the positive side properly calls any given person to a higher standard. Did you follow that? So the word generous or generosity, again, it isn't about wealth. It's about the nature of one's spirit or heart when it comes to an eagerness to give and to share. So here's the truth. Generosity is not extinct. We can find all sorts of examples everywhere in all corners of our society of very generous kinds of people. I mean, here's just a few suggestions. You ever ever run into the show On the Road with Steve Hartman? All three of you. Wonderful. (laughs) Check it out. Uh, Google it. Steve Hartman. He tells these wonderfully fascinating stories about very generous Americans. Or Mike Rowe, you may recognize that name. He has, a, he has a show called Returning the Favor, where he just goes around the United States blessing people who have been a blessing to others. And I tell you, I rarely ever watch an episode that I just don't end up crying. at This remarkable generosity in the parts of people, people you've never even heard of. But I want to I tell you about a unique kind of Generosity. Again, generosity is not extinct. And I don't want to suggest for a moment that Christians have a corner on the market. Because non-Christians can be extremely generous people. And the truth of the matter is that Christians can be incredibly stingy. But if we truly understand the nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ and how that all works... The truth is that Christians ought to be some of the most generous people on the planet. I want to try to explain that to you. So if we have a spectrum of common and uncommon generosity, just sort of the generosity that exists among all people and then something that I want to describe to you as an uncommon kind of generosity. We We have these expressions like altruism and humanitarianism, philanthropy, there's these nonprofit organizations, charities. We, we can talk about benevolence or welfare or donations. There's this sort of organized expressions of generosity and people participate in organizations and causes and they, they give to them in a lot of different ways. And that, that's kind of common. And then if you move away from the organizational expressions of generosity, you have something that's a little bit more uh, familiar to most people. We have just general kindness and compassion, the, the willingness to help or offer support. There's the sharing or the giving away of things that we might have to somebody who needs them. It's, it's the idea of, of what's behind gifts. But there's still another category of truly uncommon generosity. And to to introduce you to it, I, I wanna take you to a story, a parable that Jesus once told. Now you have to understand about parables. Parables, they capture a truth. They're not always about exactly the topic of the parable. It could be something that's applied to a number of different expressions in life. And not every detail in a parable is, in fact, something that you need to interpret. Sometimes a field in a parable is it's just a field. You don't need to make something more of it. But Jesus tells an interesting parable that teaches us something important about generosity. You guys interested? I got a few more minutes. Watch this. Peter came to Jesus and he asked this question, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who's done something to hurt me? They've sinned against me. Uh, I've been taught as a Jew that I'm to forgive somebody up to seven times. Now That's a lot of times. That's a lot of times Keep turning the other cheek, right? Uh, Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, well, here's what I'm going to tell you. I know what your rabbis have been teaching you all your life, but I'm going to teach you something different. I'm going to tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And, And by selecting such an extreme number, what Jesus is saying is there's no end to the number of times that you extend forgiveness. And then Jesus tells this interesting story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, like this is what it's like when God is in charge. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold. However much that's worth, it was worth a lot. 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Okay, don't don't weird out on me. Okay, this is a cultural kind of thing. It worked at the time. I wouldn't approve it for these days. All right? You get the picture? This king calls his servants in to give an account for the things that he entrusted to his care. One of his servants owed him 10,000 bags of gold. He didn't have it. So the king ordered that he be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. And he pleaded, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything, I promise. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. He didn't just say, pay me back in time. It sounds like he actually said, well, you know what? Just forget about it all. You You get the story? Okay, the story continues. But when that servant who had been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold, when that servant went out, he found found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. We're talking like minuscule amount compared to his debt. We're talking the difference between gold and silver. A servant who owed him a hundred silver coins and he, he grabbed him and he began to choke him and he said, pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, should have sounded familiar. And The servant said, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off. He had the man thrown in prison Until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened. They were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You. You wicked servant. I canceled All of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Remember, Jesus teaches parables to help us understand the heart of God. We read this in the book of Ephesians of the New Testament. The writer says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing Grace and mercy and redemption, conversion, peace and joy and forgiveness. All of these spiritual blessings that we have, that we enjoy only because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Here's some of them. He chose us for salvation. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of, a sin, of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he what? He lavishes on us. But God just doesn't give us a little bit. He lavishes his blessings toward us. We, we read this. Elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Well, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. This service, uh, the, the Corinthian church had collected a gift and had given it to some believers in need. And he says, this service that you perform... Is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you proved yourself, you put your money where your mouth is, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has forgiven you. And then Paul doesn't even know how to end the discussion. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. How do I even begin to describe God's mercy and grace toward us in the person of Jesus Christ who has blessed us more abundantly than we could ever Even imagine. So what do we see? From the parable. To the writings that we find in the New Testament letters. there's There's this context. That everything about a Christian's life. Is done in response to the enormous grace and mercy. That God has extended to us. So what I find is that there's. There's three expressions of generosity. One of them, it isn't very admirable. It's unbecoming. There are people who give. They give for the affirmation, for the approval, the appreciation, or the applause of others. They they want other people to know how much they've given so that people will celebrate them. I give for the way it makes me feel or for the moral reassurance that I'm a good person. Well, we all know that that's a very unbecoming expression of generosity. Well, now there's the more common expression. And that is this. I give for the opportunity to meet a need of another person. I just want to help. I give out of a desire to help, to serve, to rescue another person from hardship or suffering. This is why I give. This is why I give of my time. This is why I share my talents. Or I give because I want to pay forward the generosity that I have received. Man, if there's anything true about my life. And certainly, Charlotte, my wife, and I could tell the story that our lives have been abundantly blessed because of the generosity of others. And Charlotte and I will look for opportunities to be generous as a way to pay forward the generosity that we've received. But there's still another kind of generosity. And this one is rarely found on the planet, it is truly uncommon. You want to know what it is? It's this. I give out of a deep sense of gratitude in response to God's outrageous generosity toward me. That's why I give. I've been on the receiving end of God's enormous and outrageous favor. I give out of a genuine longing to pay forward the enormous gift of God's grace to me. When a person truly understands what we've inherited because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ out of God's goodness toward us as human beings, it changes our entire perspective and motivation and heart for why we might share with others. You might say, I give out of an eager desire to obey the Lord's instructions to be generous. If God, who's been so gracious to me, has asked me to be generous, then I will in fact look for opportunities to be generous with my life. This is how I'm defining uncommon generosity. Uncommon generosity is an attitude of abundance. I come from a place of blessing, an attitude of abundance, eagerly shared out of gratitude for the grace of God that has been lavished on us through Jesus. Does that make sense? So this holiday season, I have a question for all of us to be honest about, to ask ourselves and perhaps do some homework. What the question is, how big is your heart? Is your heart motivated by sort of the typical generosity that comes with philanthropy or benevolence because you know that's a good thing to do? Does your heart come more from a place of just kindness and respect for others and, and empathy and sensitivity to their need? Or are you as a Christ follower? As you, are you as a Christ follower who's been on the receiving end of God's lavished blessings? Are you generous because you've been on the receiving end of so much generosity. There's a huge difference. And I wanna encourage all of us, myself included, to do some heart work as we approach a season of generosity to ask, where does my generosity come from? Simply some sort of moral obligation Some sort of a attempt to be kind and nice? Or does my generosity in fact come from a place of deep gratitude about the enormous gifts of God toward me? Make sense? It's a lot to think about. If you decide to come back next Sunday, I want to explore this a little bit more. About what does it mean to be of noble birth? And what exactly is a Christian who's generous? Because I think you might be surprised what in fact it looks like. Before I run off today, let you run off. I want to draw your attention to an opportunity. It's just an opportunity. For years now, we have been supporting an orphanage in the country of Nigeria home to about 300 orphans who have literally been dropped off at the doorstep of the Ministry of Mercy Orphanage. Sometimes because of deformity or disease, sometimes because parents just don't wanna spend the money raising them. Some of these kids have literally been found abandoned in the streets or thrown in dumpsters. Years ago, Sybil Creek made a commitment that we would support them to make sure that they never go without food or clothing, medical care and education. Well, it's that time of the year that we start replenishing our resources to be able to serve the orphanage and other expressions of compassion throughout the world. So if you're interested in being a part of that, as a part of our holiday seasons, uh, on the copy of your Creek this morning, you'll find a QR code under the title, Give Globally. And you'll find instructions there about how you can participate. It's just an opportunity. It fits nicely with what it is that we're exploring here in this series. And I hope you'll prayerfully consider being a part. Make sense? Let me ask you to stand together. And if I can pray in about 40 seconds or less, I will be right on time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your enormous generosity toward us. The grace that you lavished on us. Where you agreed to die in our place in the person of your son. To pay the penalty for the sins that we're guilty of. And then turn around and offer us salvation. And the hope of eternal life. God, do a work in our hearts. Bring about an honest conversation inside of our soul about where does our generosity come from? Are we just trying to be good people? Are we trying to in some way say thank you for your enormous generosity toward us? Thank you, Father, for this time together. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Have a great Thanksgiving.